Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so glad that you are here. It's so good to see you again. I tell you, it's a kind of a different scene going from Pentecost Reunion Sunday to Memorial Day weekend. It is, that, it's something else. We, you know, it was just so, it was so powerful in here last week. We decided we need to kind of split it up. We needed, it was, it was just getting a little out of hand. People were catching a little too much of the spirit and we needed to kind of, we just needed to break that down a little bit. So it was, but no, it is wonderful to have you all here this weekend. Thank you for being with us, whether you're joining us online or whether you're here in person. It is a wonderful thing to be gathered once again as God's church in his house. You know, Memorial Day, as, as Joe told us, Memorial Day is a special weekend, not not because, as it, and I love the way he said that, not just because it's the opening of the pool or not because it's the beginning of summer or something like that, but because it is a day to remember all those who have given so much so that we can live in this outstanding and exceptional country in which we live. You know, over the course of my career, I've known many men and many women who fought for this country from World War I all the way through the War on Terror, through World War II, through Korea, Vietnam, all the wars in between, Afghanistan, Iraq. And over the years, I've been honored that either they or their relatives or their loved ones would tell me their stories of those battles and of their service, of their victories and of dear friends who were lost. They told me about hardship on the battlefield, and hardship on the home front. And I'll tell you, whenever I hear those stories, that history just comes alive in ways that it never could in a textbook or a classroom. Those stories make those events real. And they bring us, it always seems, a degree closer to that moment of truth and the truth of those moments. I mean, of course, facts are important but in the context of stories, they teach us so much more. Well, this week and next week, we are going to be reading a story about Jesus telling a story. It's a story called the parable of the sower. And we're going to start out by reading verses 1 through 9. But then I want you to hold on to that passage because we'll come back to verses 10 through 12 in just a moment. But if you would, read along with me using either the screens in front of you or your bulletin or your own Bible. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, 
Let him hear. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We come to you, O God, because we ask you to speak to us your eternal word amidst the changing words of our generation. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. So this is a story about Jesus telling a story, a story about a story. And it's a type of story called a parable. Now, what is a parable? Well, technically speaking, the word parable means something that is placed alongside something else for the sake of clarification. But simply put, a parable is a story. But it's not just a story. It's a story that teaches. The gospel, uh, gospel records, or the gospels record, some 60 different parables of Jesus, most of which are found in Matthew and Luke, a few fewer in Mark, but none in the Gospel of John. Actually, I think that says more about John than it says about Jesus. But there, we have a broad spectrum of stories, of parables in the ministry of Jesus. Why? Because stories have the power to connect and to teach at a deeper level than just plain facts. Why teach in story form? Well, to borrow an analogy from Jesus himself, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Parables are like fishing tackle. There's a hook hidden in the bait, and the hook is the word of God. Toby Summers, who many of you know, who is the CEO of Mission Road Ministries, has often said this, give me the facts and you will win my mind, but tell me a story and you will win my heart. The truth is that all of us zone out on facts at some point or another, but most people will listen to a story all the way through. And so a story is a way to teach people without them seeing it coming. And if we go back to the idea of the hook hidden in the bait, when Jesus tells a story, he is drawing people in, waiting for them to bite. And they take the bait and they take the hook too. And it seems that Jesus used parables for a couple of reasons. Either to hook people with a conviction that challenges them, or to provoke people with confusion. It's like they're left saying, I don't know what he said, but I don't like it. I feel like he was talking about me, didn't use my name, but I feel like he was getting at something there. Is there something you're trying to say here? He used stories either to hook or to provoke people. And so there was Jesus beside the sea with this huge crowd teaching from a fishing boat, using a hook, teaching from a first century bass boat. And there he was, and he's explaining something deep that he wants them to understand. Now this, this parable, this story, is about how the word of God lands on or is heard by different types of people. We're going to talk a little bit more about that 
next week as we dive into the particular images of the story a little bit more. But I want to give you a preview of, of the overall view of the story this week. If we go back and look at the words, the seed is the word of God, the truth of God. And the different soil situations describe four different types of people. And in this parable, Jesus is depicting the age-old reality of how different people hear the truth of God and respond to the truth of God differently. Some will receive it and others will reject it. Some people never get it. Some people hear it and get very excited, but then lose interest or reject it. Some people hear it, but it gets choked out by other priorities, beliefs, or attitudes. Again, we're going to be talking about that more next week. But the final image that Jesus uses is this, that some people hear the word of God, and it does amazing kingdom things in their lives. Now, when we hear stories like this, we always have questions. Who is the sower? What is the seed? What do the different soils represent? But there's some bigger questions that we need to ask as well. Why did Jesus tell this story? What did it mean then in his context? And what does it mean now for us? Those are three really important questions that we need to wrestle with with regard to this story. The first part of the story is the story itself. But then these next few verses are about the story within the story. If you'll turn back to the passage for today. Jesus says this, or the gospel says this. And when he was alone... Those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that indeed they may, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You see, what happened was that when the crowds had dispersed and Jesus was alone again with his disciples, they had some questions for him. He'd been teaching in parables all day, apparently. And Matthew finally tells us that someone asked, why do you talk to the crowds in parables? Why these obscure stories? Why all of this drama? Why don't you just make it plain? And listen to what Jesus says, quoting Isaiah. He says, it's so that people on the inside like you will understand what's going on. But people on the outside will not. Here's what I want to tell you. I want to submit to you that the reason Jesus taught in parables was to keep the plan of God hidden until it was finally and fully fulfilled and revealed in his death and resurrection. Here's what he's saying. You, the insiders, are going to know the full story. The disciples may know, but nobody else. And we're going to hear him tell the disciples again and again in other episodes, don't tell anyone. 
And I believe that this story within the story is an encoded declaration of God's plan for the death and resurrection and salvation of his son. In other words, if we go to the story within the story of the parable of the sower, we will see that this is a story about Jesus himself. Let's take a look a little bit more closely. In Jesus' own explanation of the meaning of the story, Jesus says this, the sower sows the word. The seed is the word. But the word is a person, Jesus. You remember the first words of the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. John's gospel tells us that Jesus is the word of God. He is the logos, God's mind, God's will, God's wisdom, God's character, his divinity, his essence, his person, Everything God wants you to know about God, he made flesh in his son, Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so the word is not just a declaration, not just a teaching of God that is sown. No, the word of God is a person. The word made flesh that has come. The word is the truth about Jesus but the word is also Jesus himself. And so the story, this story, is actually a blueprint, a plan for God's plan and Jesus' mission. I want you to listen to what happens to the seed, to the word in the story. Consider the soils. First, it lands on the path. And the birds snatch it away before it ever gets to the soil. Then it falls on rocky ground. And at first it shoots up and everything looks great. But because the soil's thin, it doesn't take root. It never takes hold and it withers and dies and blows away in the hot sun. And then third, the seed is killed when it lands on the soil under a thorn bush. And the thorns choke it out. But then the seed lands on good soil. And what happens then? It grows up and it increases and bears an extraordinary harvest of fruit, succeeding beyond anyone's wildest dreams. Now I want us to think about that because I think the sequence here is very important because this sequence describes Jesus's road to the cross and the resurrection. Follow me. Listen. First, Satan tried to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission. You'll see later down in verse 15 that Jesus says directly that Satan is the one who tries to prevent us from knowing the truth of, good, of the good news of Jesus Christ by snatching it away 
before it gets to us. Remember that before Jesus ever began preaching, Satan met him in the wilderness and tried to snatch away his ministry and his truth from the world by tempting him to forsake his father and abandon his mission of the kingdom of heaven so that he could set up his own empire on earth. Before he even started his ministry, Satan wanted to snatch the word of God away from his mission. Second, he was celebrated and rejected. We know that Jesus at first was extremely popular. I mean, here he is trying to teach to the crowd and they won't leave him any room. He has to get a friend's boat and get out in the boat on the water. So he's got a place to stand so that he can teach. The beach is full of people. He is so popular. He can't find a place to stand. I mean, think back just a few weeks ago, we talked about the four friends of the paralytic who had to cut a hole in the roof so that they could get their friend to Jesus because the house in which he was sitting was so crowded. Everywhere he went, great crowds followed him, even into Jerusalem where they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we know that his popularity was shallow and fleeting, wasn't it? I mean, for a few days it seemed he was a rock star until they finally got tired of him and turned on him and on Good Friday became a lynch mob shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Apparently the word had fallen on rocky ground, fallen on shallow soil where the roots are thin and it withers and blows away in the hot sun. Next, he was killed. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The thorns are the religious leaders and the political players who blasphemed him and slandered him and lied about him and tried to silence him, hoping to choke out the truth on a Roman cross. But then, finally, and victoriously, Jesus rose from the grave, resurrected. The seed, the word, died and was buried. And what happens when you bury a seed? It grows. The Apostle Paul described resurrection like this. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And that is exactly what happened after the resurrection. All the way through Pentecost, all the way through the book of Acts, as the gospel spread and continues to spread around the world from generation to generation, it's still happening. It's still growing well beyond a hundredfold. And you know what? If those UFOs that the Pentagon's talking about are real, it's about to go interstellar. The gospel's not going to stop. It's not going to be stop bearing fruit. It's going to keep going. This is a plan 
that Jesus was revealing to his disciples. This is the plan to his followers, to the insiders. You remember just a few weeks ago before Easter, we were studying how Jesus revealed his plan to his disciples. What did he say? He said that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This parable, this story, is an encoded declaration of God's plan for the death and resurrection and salvation of his son. It's all about Jesus. This parable represents the historical inbreaking of God's kingdom in Jesus, the sower of the gospel. Before this parable was ever about us, it was about Jesus. And it was for, about God's plan for restoring our world and our lives through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And so this is not a story primarily about all the kinds of people who reject the word. It is ultimately about the triumph of the word. It is about the triumph of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just a story. It's not just an allegory. It's not even just a parable. It is a prophecy. This is a story about abundance. And it doesn't end with defeat and rejection. It ends with victory and abundance. But here's something I never quite understood. Something about parables that I never quite understood. And I've been wrestling with this for a couple weeks now. Why would Jesus want some people to understand and others not to understand? I've really had to wrestle with this. And then it hit me. It's because for God's plan to be fulfilled, he had to be rejected. Rejection was part of the plan. Again, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He must be rejected. And so the Lord said, they may indeed see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Rejection was part of the plan. God had a plan for the restoration of the world, and part of that plan was to begin by exposing humanity's rejection of God. God's plan begins by ripping the mask off of humanity's self-righteousness and rebellion against God our sinfulness and our brokenness, exposing our contempt for our creator and our cruelty to one another. Consider what happened. God sent the only sinless, perfect man of love into the world, his own son. And what did humanity do? We killed him. Now we mock him. We reject him or we ignore him. Through the rejection of Jesus, the son of God, 
the Lord of creation, exposed just how far we have fallen. And he exposed the extent of humanity's calamity and our desperate need for salvation, our desperate need for a Savior. But at the same time, even though God proved how desperately broken we are, the Lord showed how loving, how gracious, and how merciful he is. Because in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he proved the depth and the breadth of his own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. He did those things to prove how far he was willing to go in proof of his love for us. How far he was willing to go to prove that he would save a wretch like me. His plan was to prove both our brokenness and his love. And he did both through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So before this parable is ever about us, it is about Jesus. And it was about God's plan for restoring our world and our lives through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Jesus is not just the teacher. He is the subject. He is not just the messenger. He is the message. And he is the seed of our story. It's fascinating that the only command in this story, the only thing that Jesus tells us to do in this passage is to listen. Akuo. Listen. Hear. The seed that is going to change the world is here. The truth that is going to change the world is here. But at first, it's going to be snatched away, ignored, blocked, rejected, undermined, and, def undermined and defrauded. But when it takes hold, not only in our lives, in our world, but in your life, in my life, it is going to produce an abundance, a harvest that no one is going to be able to believe. No one is going to be able to resist it, and no one is going to be able to deny it. And so what is the most important thing that you can do according to this story? What is the one command of Jesus? Listen. Hear. Heed. And take seriously that the seed that is going to change the world has come. Do not look to some other. The seed is here. He is the one who breaks through with abundance, even when things look hopeless. 
Our hope is in him. Our faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just the sower. He is the seed. He's not just the storyteller. He is the story. On Memorial Day, we are challenged to remember the people who gave their lives for our country so that we might be free. But today, this story reminds us of the one who gave his life so that we might live. Let he who has ears to hear, hear. Listen. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we come to your word today, we come to a familiar story. And yet, because it is familiar, we are tempted to see just what we want to see in it. We're tempted just to see only what it challenges us to know and believe about ourselves without understanding how it reveals you, how it reveals your truth, and how it reveals your Son. Help us to know, O oh God, that your Son, Jesus Christ, is your Word. He is not just the messenger, He is the message, and just not just the teacher, He is the subject. He is the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, help us first and foremost to sanctify him as Lord so that we may see the truth of everything else he reveals. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.